This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 22nd. Welcome to episode 94 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. This is a weekly baseball podcast coming to you from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Paul, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Uh, Doing well. Paul, I have a question for you. Go for it. What teams do you think we've talked about the most over our 93 podcast episodes? Uh, Cubs number one. White Sox number two, and then maybe like a, an assortment of like Cardinals, Royals. Yeah, Cardinals, Royals. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I also thought about the Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Red Sox. Pretty much any of the teams that have been good the last couple of years. We started this podcast mm-hmm. before the 2015 season. Uh, I say that and I ask that question because I think we've not discussed one team uh, that we should have. Like at all? Uh, very rarely. The Rays? No. Nope. Marlins? No, nope. this team is featured on this podcast, Paul. Mm. Use some investigative work. Oh, the Astros. Yes. So since we've started podcasting, I did a little research. They have the third most wins in the American League. Yeah. Uh, at 199. The Blue Jays have 200 and the Rangers have 206. So the Astros are one good season away from taking that spot, and I feel like we've just very rarely talked, except we, we uh, interviewed the AA announcer. Yeah, I was going to say, we did a AA interview, and um, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Dallas Keuchel. Sure, but I feel like overall, like uh, the playoff uh, 10 guests preview two years ago, we mm-hmm. famously didn't have an Astros yeah. person on. Yeah, I generally agree with you. Okay. Yeah, so this podcast is uh, dedicated to the Astros. <laughs> Astros-themed Yes. Um, our guest later in the episode is one of the most prominent Astros uh, fans, writers, tweeters out there. I did some uh, deep research and, and I found the <laughs> best uh, Astros fan. And I'm being serious out there. I, I rejected our normal uh, approach just going to the SB Nation <laughs> website for the team. And uh, I found the, what I think is the best Astros writer, fan, person out there. Uh, our deep dive is the Astrodome, and uh, Sounds of the Game this week is the uh, first and only trip the Astros have made to the World Series mm-hmm. back in 2005. Yeah, it really is an Astros-themed podcast. Have you ever been to Houston? I have not. Have you? No. Maybe that's our bias. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yes, other things we'll talk about this week. Um, we have another installment of a listener goes to a game, and so we call them at the game. <laughs> Andy called from... Uh, San Diego, Petco Park. So this is the third straight uh, episode where we've had uh, a segment like this, and so uh, we want to keep that going. So if you go to a game or are planning on going to a game uh, anytime this summer, let us know, and we'll plan that out. Uh, I have dreams of of hitting all 30 uh, parks this year. Mm -hmm. So it's ambitious, but you can help us do it. So if you're going to a game uh, at, at a park that hasn't been covered yet, we've done Petco, 
Washington. And Seattle. And uh, Seattle. So if you go to one of the other 27, let us know. And we'll call you just a short little segment at the park. Yeah, you can email us at a foot in the box at gmail.com. Or Tweet at us or just text us because you most likely have our phone number. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, anything else you want to preview the podcast with, Paul? No, I do have a, a banter nugget about another Texas team. Well, before that, let's do our Nelly update. Go for it. Uh, so Nelly played a sold-out show in Peoria, Illinois. Last night. Had no idea. Saturday night he played uh, at the Riverfront in Peoria. That's the casino? Yes. They sold uh, 10,000 tickets. It was a sellout. And uh, here is a local news recap of the event. Luckily, that first batch of rain did clear up in time to see thousands of fans pack into the Peoria Riverfront this evening to see the popular hip-hop artist Nelly. The concert is sold out, which is a good thing for Peoria tourism. WMBD's Kyle Vincent captured the excitement. I'm excited. This is just something that we've talked about and talked about and talked about, and it's finally here. Nelly, of course. <laughs> Exactly 10,000. So it, it's sold out. It is sold out. And I'm, and I'm overwhelmed by it all, really, because I don't think it's ever happened like out here. Right. If that's ever happened right. here on the riverfront. I think it's pretty spectacular, actually. It's and amazing! Just be great um, for tourism down here in Peoria. You know, there are so many hotel rooms that are booked. There, the restaurants are super pumped about it as well. This is major for our area. Um, it's good exposure for Peoria, and I, I just I hope this attracts more artists and and we have bigger events just like this. If you ain't here, you might as well just stay home. So there you go. Uh, before we get to our baseball and TV segments, another SNL themed uh, installment of that. Uh, let's banter a bit about baseball current events. Paul, uh, I guess give your your Texas nugget first. Yeah, so the Rangers have been on fire. I think they won 10 games in a row. They lose yesterday? They lost yesterday, but you know they've won like 12 out of 16 and are in second place now. They've uh, been really hot. But Joey Gallo in particular, their first baseman, is interesting to me. 165 plate appearances. Uh, he's batting 184. However, he has an OPS of over 800 uh, and uh, a, a war of... Uh, one, and I think uh, you know he's bordering on like Todd Frazier um, last year, where he batted I think 190 and hit 40 homers, um, but he walks far more and uh, has far more extra base hits. So just in a, a really wacky stat line, you know, one, batting 184, which would be uh, set a record if he gets the the right number of plate appearances, but has 13 homers, 21 record walks. for what? Lowest batting average no. for a qualified player. No. It would come close. Adam Dunn. Yeah, are you just guessing? No, Adam Dunn with the White Sox. can't remember what year it was, but they benched him for the last like 10 games of the season so that he didn't get the record. Hmm. Fact check that later. Go for it. Yeah, it's a blog post. Uh, the White Sox got uh, another great prospect. Yeah. L- Luis Robert. Right, uh, 19-year-old outfielder uh, from Cuba. And 
this is likely the last big uh, international signing in terms of dollar amount. It's reported that the Sox are going to give up $25 million for him. But because of the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, these major signings will be a thing of the past, and those new rules go into effect this summer. So it's kind of a historic signing, too. And the amount of talent in Cuba, I feel like, is, is kind of dwindling. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't you just, know. You hear more and more that there's not uh, a lot of good talent left in Cuba. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. Uh, the White Sox were outbid uh, reportedly by the Cardinals, but he chose the White Sox. Hmm. Um, the re- initial reports are he was wooed by a video they did. I'm skeptical of that. Um, but the, the Sox have a great Cuban heritage. You know, uh, Jose Abreu, Mancada, obviously, they traded for, but Alexei Ramirez, and even going back all the way to, um, uh, like, Jose Contreras as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I was wondering, you know, the Cardinals seem like uh, they've got a lot of money to spend, so that's got to be frustrating for them to mm-hmm. to outbid and not get yeah, I, their the, guy. Yeah, the the White Sox were definitely needed an outfielder. Their infield is kind of set, um, but they really had no outfield position in the or outfield depth in the minors mm-hmm. uh, would you trade him straight up for ian happ right now uh yes absolutely uh would, would if you were the cubs would you do that probably not might make sense for the cubs because they kind of have a log jam yes but happ is one of the few guys hitting right now so you mm-hmm. gotta keep him up in the, the majors all right uh my harper versus trout this week uh this continues to be a good segment because both hitters are dominating Trout is on top of the war leaderboard at 2.9. Uh, ben Lindbergh wrote an article this week about Trout and how in past years he's kind of uh, Trout has focused on one specific area to, to become better at. So, you know, one year he stole a ton of bases. Another year he hit kind of solely for power and took more strikeouts because of that. Other years he's, he's uh, attacked pitches up in the zone. Other years he's attacked lower in the hmm. zone. Like he's just kind of adjusted his game no matter – how teams are trying to pitch him or uh, get him out. Uh, This year he seems to have combined all of those years into like one spectacular (laughs) year. So his strikeouts are at an all-time low. He's hitting 343, uh, getting on base a ton, 456 on base, uh, 730 slugging, 13 home runs. He's 8 for 9 in stolen bases. Um, So just uh, we're seeing peak trout right now. 730 slugging. That's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Trout became the youngest player to 150 homers and 150 steals. Uh, he's just 25. He turns uh, 26 in August. Uh, as Lindbergh pointed out, uh, Babe Ruth uh, is the only player to lead his league in war for six straight seasons, and Trout uh, will most likely do that this year. Mm-hmm. And he would do that uh, in his first six seasons. <laughs> I feel like for uh, one of our brother's road trips, we're going to have to just go see him play because mm-hmm. I've never seen him play in person. Yeah, that's true. And he's the greatest young player in baseball history. <laughs> I mean, you can't really hide from that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. Uh, David Ross updates. He has made the finals in Dancing with the Stars. Uh, last week, he uh, avoided elimination. So it's, it's out of the final three. David Ross, uh, r- uh, running back Rashad Jennings, and... Uh, Singer Normani Corday, Corday, I've never heard of her. But those three are left uh, Monday night. So there's three pairs that are left. Yes, out of twelve, I think that started. Hmm. So props to Ross. 
He's a big underdog in the finals, apparently. But was there ever any doubt he would make the finals? I don't know. He's the first um, Major League Baseball person to be in Dancing with the Stars. Hmm. Uh, past week, he ruined one of my favorite songs right now, uh, Castle on the Hill by Ed Sheeran. Never heard it. We'll play it to uh, to end the podcast. But uh, yeah, he danced to that song, so that will forever be linked in my memory. Um, the last little bit I had, uh, Chris Sale mm-hmm. t- tied his own record, eight straight games with 10-plus strikeouts, did that on Friday. He'll have a chance to break it on Tuesday. Uh, Pedro Martinez is the only other player who's... Um, mm-hmm. Who's done that? And like I said, this is the second time he's done it. Uh, Kate and I were actually at the uh, the game where he tied Pedro's record back in 2015. That started after that game on on Tuesday. He uh, will pitch against the White Sox. That's right. Sale versus Quintana. That's I think right. Is the matchup? You think he'll hit anybody? I do not. No. You think he'll get a standing ovation? Uh, yeah. I think people generally like him. Do you miss him? Mm, I do. I miss watching him play. I don't know that I miss his personality or anything like that, but it's just such an amazing pitcher to watch. Paul, I wanted to follow up uh, your uh, Tim Tebow update from last week. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jarrett uh, Seidler, Seidler of Baseball Prospectus had a scouting report. He went and saw him play. and uh, he, w- he was impressed. Some good stuff here. He says, uh, and I quote, at the plate there's actually aspects of this to like Tebow wow. has legitimate p- plus power and puts on a show in batting practice that eclipses most of his teammates, several of whom are legitimate prospects during games. Tebow will display quality bat speed, but little barrel control leading to a lot of off balance contact. He has little to no feel for spin and his swing is long enough that he's also beaten easily by premium velocity. Uh, he goes on uh, to say complicating things is a weird truth. Tebow can't throw or field the baseball at all. He might be a legitimate 20-grade out of 80, 20-grade uh, arm, and he's definitely a 20-grade outfielder. Now, if you've watched the guy in the NFL, you're probably not surprised, given how he threw the football, but I really expected an average or above-average arm out of him. Instead, it's an inaccurate rainbow machine. His <laughs> mechanics throwing a baseball look every bit as off as, as his mechanics throwing a football were, and then some. We've talked about how... Uh... Like uh, he looks uncomfortable with a glove on. Yeah, it's weird. He kind of like squeezes with his fingers more than, or in like squeezes with his fingers in a weird way. So That's I thought it. that was a, a fair uh, look at Tebow. Yeah, generally more positive than I would anticipate. Here's a hot take from me or prediction, hot prediction. I think Tebow will be a September call up this year. Hmm. The Mets aren't playing well. Uh, you can justify it as as the leadership thing, uh, maybe. Uh, but just was it last week or the week runner. before you said the Mets you were buying on the Mets? You felt like the media had been too critical? Uh yes. But now you They've are done, they haven't played well this week. But not, my thing with the Mets is that people were completely giving up on the season and I don't think you can do that yet. But I mean most likely they're not going to be in contention late in the year. Yeah, I wonder if you look at his splits. I mean if he's like destroying right-handed uh, pitchers that are fastball dominant or something, you could probably make a, a pitch that he'd be like a good pinch hitter in September or something like that. Yeah, I don't think he's destroying any type <laughs> of pitching. I just think it's heading that direction. Yeah. All right, well, that does it for banter. Uh, let's move on to baseball on TV. Uh, this is the third week in our SNL month. So the past two weeks, we've done Bob Eucher, uh and Derek Jeter. Both of them hosted 
the only other two baseball hosts in uh, I think now like the the 42nd season or something of mm-hmm. SNL. Uh, the only other two baseball hosts were Billy Martin, manager of the Yankees, uh, way back in the day, and then uh, Deion Sanders, who was like, you know, part NFL, part Major League Baseball host. It's surprising that Griffey never hosted one. Yeah, it's surprising that no other MLB players did. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this week um, and next, we're going to play segments uh, or SNL skits that have to do with baseball, not necessarily people that hosted. Uh, So this week we have three different skits for you. The first one is uh, a reenactment of uh, baseball introducing the new commissioner uh, after Bart Giamani died in 1989. Welcome to our annual postseason club owners conference. We've had an exciting season, but also a tragic one, marked by the passing of our beloved commissioner, A. Bartlett Giamatti. Now here to pay tribute to our departed leader is Bart's good friend and colleague, our new commissioner, Mr. Faye Vincent. Thank you. Respected owners of baseball, it's difficult to find the proper words to describe the greatness that was Bart Giamatti. His loss is one from which we will never quite recover, but I know, and Bart would be the first to say, that the game must and will go on. However, I would like to request, as my first act as commissioner, that this year's World Series be dedicated to the memory of a great man, A. Bartlett Giamatti. Furthermore, I request that the players of each team wear black armbands with Bart's initials in honor of this great man. And in addition, I move that beginning next season, the World Series be renamed the A. Bartlett Giamatti Series. I have spoken to the owners of the Boston Red Sox, Bart's favorite team, and I have asked that Fenway Park be known from here on as A. Bartlett Giamatti Stadium. From here on, the statistic runs battered in, shall be known as Bart's. A pinch hitter will be called a Bartlett, or a Giamat, depending on which league. The term hitting for the cycle, single, double, triple, and home run will be known as being Bartish. And left field, Bart's favorite position, will be known as Bartland, USA. Babe Ruth, baseball's greatest player, shall be named... Nicknamed, from here on, the Bartbino. Third base, she'll be known as Yale. The center fielder will be referred to as the iced coffee, Bart's favorite beverage. And the pitcher's mound will be known as lasagna. It's all here in the new Major League Bart Ball rule book, which you'll all be receiving shortly. Excuse me, Mr. Uh, Commissioner. Yes, Bart. I'm sorry, Fred. Fred Wilpont from the Mets. I know who you were. 
But from now on, everyone in the room, including myself, shall be known as A. Bartlett Chiamatti. I only hope that we can carry the name with the same class and dignity that he did. Yeah, well, anyway, Mr. Commissioner. Please. Bart. Call me Bart. Okay, Bart. Uh, in all due respect, all of us here have been privileged to work and to have known Bart uh, Giamatti. And, you know, it's important to honor him and stuff, but don't you think that he would want to leave the game the way it's been for the last hundred years? How dare you betray his memory? You who bear his name! <laughs> Let me re remind you, Bart, that I have the power to ban you from Bart Ball. And that goes for all of you. Now, those who want to keep their teams will join me in singing the new Bart Ball anthem. Just follow the lyric sheet. All rise, please. Take me out to a Bartlett. Take me, Bart, to Giamatti. Play Bart! All right, very funny stuff. The next clip we have to play is uh, uh, also from early 90s, uh, Chris Farley on the Major League Baseball strike in fall of 1994. Well, if it weren't for the baseball strike, the World Series would be starting this coming week. Here now with a commentary is Weekend Update correspondent Chris Farley. Chris! <laughs> Thank you, Norm. Well, it's been almost 10 weeks since the players went on strike and took baseball with them. And all I can say is, well, I miss the grand old game. Because to me, baseball isn't about the score or who beats who. It's about going out to the ballpark on a sunny day, drinking a few beers, climbing over the fence, out onto the field, and running around wild and free. <laughs> until the security guards come and beat the holy bejesus out of me. Sometimes I dash across the outfield, sometimes I run around the bases and try to kiss the players. Doesn't matter which, it's all part of the game. My favorite baseball memory? That's easy. 1978 World Series, Reggie Jackson's at the plate. The count's 2-0, and oh. the call's for a fastball. I'm naked. Running around somewhere behind second base. 70,000 people shout as one. Get him off the field! He's wrecking the game! And as I'm dragged from the field, past the Yankee dugout, Bucky Dent points right at me and says, That pathetic idiot. That sad, pathetic idiot. Some people say that baseball's a metaphor for life, but to me, well, baseball's just baseball. Just a bat, a ball, two teams of, I believe, five to ten players each, and I think there's something called innings. That and fences so low and stadium ushers so much smaller than me that it's a joke. Come back soon, baseball. Come back soon. And lastly, uh, going to do late 90s, 1997, uh, Bill Brasky and his buddies at a Little League baseball game. If you're unfamiliar with Bill Brasky, you might just want to hit the, the fast-forward button a few times. PG-13 rating for sure. Maybe oh, I think R. Yeah. Uh, so you might want to fast-forward if you've got kids in the car. But uh, Bill Brasky is someone um, that our brothers uh, and us joke about quite a bit. So uh, 
Bill Brasky at a Little League baseball game. Excuse me, a lot of us have come here to watch our children. Would you please just stop drinking and yelling? You got a nice caboose on you, honey. You sure do. Yeah. You are horrible men. Come on, Junior. If you don't catch the ball, I'll put the dog to sleep. You're a fine father. Yeah. Did you ever hear about the time that Brasky's father told him to take out the garbage? When Brasky's about nine years old, his dad asked him to take out the garbage. So Brasky punched his father in the face, stuffs him in a garbage bag, then dumps him on the curb and says, Look, I took out the garbage. <laughs> you know, Brasky went through puberty in one night. That's right. He howled like a werewolf for 10 hours, and in the morning he had a beard. That's right. He, he sweats Gatorade. The Pope told him it was okay to have a mistress. He once inhaled a seagull. To Bill Brasky! Bill Brasky! For the Box Podcast from uh, Petco Park, how can I help you? <laughs> yes, welcome to the podcast again, Andy. Man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it was only about a year and a half ago. I remember myself being super pumped when I got the first call. And uh, as I jokingly called about a half hour ago, I'm super excited to get this call right now. So this is the third installment of our uh, our hit segment, Taking the Country by Storm. Uh, a listener <laughs> a listener goes to a game, so we call them at the game. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what a title, what man. Game? I know. This well, is the uh, last, place, last place Padres. And the uh, second place in the Central Brewers, three to mm. two in the uh, top of the fourth. Uh, so the Brewers are second, and that must mean the Cubs are in first place, right? That can't be right, man. That can't be right. <laughs> uh, so Andy, you're a, you're a Cardinals fan, right? Correct. Man, I'm wearing an Illinois hat and a St. Louis Cardinals shirt, so I'm Midwest all the way right now. I even got somebody from two rows up. Uh, to give me an ILL just a minute ago. I guess uh, him and his girlfriend are from Champagne. So, wow, cool. I can't believe the crowd is very big. It's Monday night. Uh, Ten thousand, fifteen thousand. Well, when we got here, we thought we were at the wrong place because uh, there was nobody here. But about the second <laughs> inning, uh, the other thirty-five people came stumbling in. I looked up the uh, uh, capacity. It's capacity forty-two thousand. We are well under that tonight. Probably about twelve to. 15,000 roughly. So far, the highlight of the night has been uh, the pitcher hitting a stand-up triple. So, nice. you do not see that every often. Yeah, yeah. usually when uh, we do this segment, uh, it's hard to hear the person, but uh, it sounds <laughs> Loud pretty, and clear, pretty quiet man. back then. Um, I've always wondered, like, because it's nice weather, right? San Diego. You know, yes. It's, uh, it's actually like 65 or 70 right now. I've always wondered... Uh, when it's super nice uh, and there's not many people there, is it like a pleasant environment or does it make baseball even more boring? <laughs> Man, that's a good question. I'm just enthralled by this clock. I mean, I, it's like a shot clock for uh, baseball. I, I forgot all about that. So, uh, oh, in between innings? I, yeah, it's crazy, man. <laughs> My final question for you before I let you go, uh, who is your favorite Padre on, the, on this year's squad? Right now, the person that's impressed me the most uh, besides Trevor Hoffman, who might be a third base coach, you need to look that up. He's wearing the same number. <laughs> and he's got the same last name. So somebody's mm. got to get on that. Uh, but 
my favorite player is Hunter Renfro. He had a laser uh, RBI double earlier, and he also had a uh, phenomenal throw from right field to hold the runner up at third. So I've been pretty impressed by him. Everybody else, I have no idea who they are. They are a very bad baseball team with not many people coming to the games. But I will say the uh, the peanut guys, they never seem to uh, be enthusi- – I never seem to lack enthusiasm. I don't know what kind of training they do here in San Diego, but uh, it seems like every ballpark you go to, guys pass out the peanuts are the most excited guys in the ballpark. So I feel like with so few people there, it should be kind of like a flea market. Like whatever you have on you, you can like kind of yell it out, <laughs> and other people can buy it out. <laughs> you could do it from sitting down. <laughs> yeah. Hey Gary, I got uh, some baseball cards over here. What you got? And uh. I fact-checked it. Uh, Glenn Hoffman is the third-base coach. He's the older brother of Trevor Hoffman. Wow. You think uh, a little nepotism came into play on that one? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I will well, say, though, man, um, Petco Park opened in 2004. Uh, it looks incredibly new for being mm-hmm. 13 years old. Walking around, uh, like, in between innings, it's like a downtown area in between the, uh, uh, like, in between the seating. It's unbelievable, so... They got that going for them if, if you're not interested in the game. Are you are you just vacationing to San Diego? Yeah. We uh, came out here after graduation uh, Saturday night, and uh, we'll be back Wednesday. So, taking, uh, take Jen and Emmy out here. Uh, coincidentally, it was Mother's Day, so a little feather in my hat for that one, but that was not planned. <laughs> I'm being told right now that I did not plan that, so. <laughs> for for the vacation. Yeah, yeah, first family vacation, Emmy's first baseball game. She's a uh, man. Another fun fact about Petco, and maybe all the baseball parks, uh, I was gonna keep book because I was just gonna I wanted something to do from so ADD, and uh, I yeah. guess they don't sell books or pens anymore. You can't you can't what? keep book anymore as a game. So I was told by like an old guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm like where do you keep book? He's like, oh, we don't we don't do that anymore. I'm like, like serious man? Like what is this? Mm. <laughs> I was shocked, but. Jen's going to have to wait another game to learn how to keep books. I know she's really looking forward to that. Yes. Uh, well, tell uh, Jen the podcast says hello. <laughs> I will, man. I will. I appreciate the call, too. No problem. Yeah, next time you're at a game, uh, just let me know. And as always, remember to keep a foot in the box. For Out of the Box this week, I read an article from the Baltimore Sun by Ian Duncan. The title is Ravens Orioles Stadium Leans Bought at Auction Amid Water Bill Disputes. It's quite the title. Um, are you familiar with this story? I'm not. So it's obviously a very unique story that came out of Baltimore earlier this week. Um, the city of Baltimore has a controversial program or rule that allows for the auctioning of properties that owe more than $750 to the city. So, you know, if you don't pay your water, if you don't pay your property taxes, that sort of thing, then the city, this is a way of the city putting pressure on you to do that in a timely manner. On Monday of this week, there were two special properties that were uh, auctioned. This is an online auction. The two properties were uh, M&T Bank Stadium, where the Ravens play their home games, and Camden Yards, where the Orioles play. We took a road trip out there back in 2014, 2015? 13. 13. Um, beautiful stadium, really liked it. 
Um, in each case, the city claims that the owners of the property, the, the Maryland Stadium Authority, so the teams don't actually own them, the, this stadium authority does, the city claims that this authority owes money for several months of unpaid water bills. The stadium authority claims that they were never notified of the water bills and that there was an error in the um, water billing payment system. The Department of Public Works says that there may have been a communication error and that they're looking into it. At any rate, both stadiums were snatched up on Monday during the auction. The Ravens Stadium was bought by a group of European investors for $21 million, who say that they'll evict the Ravens and place a soccer team there if they acquire full ownership. And uh, a relatively unknown investor named Bill Vaughn bought Camden Yards. Um, obviously incredibly unlikely that the story will go anywhere. Um, but what it sounds, is this? What, but it sounds what like, are you talking about? But it sounds like the water bill issue will get um, sorted out and the, the investors will get reimbursed. So but, your, your article is essentially there is a dispute with the water bill and the water bill is going to get worked out. The issue is going to get worked out. Uh, no, there's more to the story than that. The I mean, it was... The, I initially found out about this uh, listening to NPR on the way to work of earlier course, this week. Of course. But technically, the, the properties are owned. The liens on the properties are owned by these two investors. There's no right way that these it's going to go through, though. Right. The, the bigger story is the controversial rule that allows the city to, some would argue, um, segregate against uh, majority black owners of lower-income houses, communities, so that if they can't pay a water bill one month, they you know, are threatened with taking their ownership away. So th- that's why it's gotten mm. more publicity. But I thought it was interesting. What would you like for us to discuss? What's the discussion question off of your article have you ever not paid your water bill? no i've forgotten before uh, very interesting stuff from you paul all right my out of the box this week uh my favorite post to write was uh baseball equivalents to tom brady tom brady is on the cover of madden next year uh he is going to turn 40 before the season starts uh pretty uh impressive uh, for someone of that age to be so good. Last year, I think 28 touchdowns, two interceptions in the 12 regular season games that he played. One is uh, fifth Super Bowl, fourth Super Bowl, fourth or fifth? Uh, fifth. Fifth Super Bowl. Wow. You're, you're 100% sure. It was a trivia question on, at, on NPR at the coffee shop at work. Mm. Uh, yeah, so fifth Super Bowl was great last year. So I looked at the best uh, hitters and pitchers around 40 in the history of baseball. Uh, so I looked, I defined it by four wins above replacement seasons um, for hitters and pitchers uh, 39 years old and above. There are 20 hitters that fit that criteria and 45 pitchers, which was a little surprising that there were over twice as many uh, pitchers as hitters. Uh, the last two were David Ortiz last year and Bartolo Colon from 2013. And uh, they're kind of the last of a dying breed. They're the last in the, you know, before them, it had been like a decade, kind of the steroid era before um, it had happened again. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen for a little while here. Uh, there are only nine current uh, 40-year-olds in baseball uh, that have played so far in 2017. Paul, how many of the nine can you name? Jeez, uh, Cologne. He's 44, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Man, nine? Mm-hmm. Are like mostly? Oh, sorry. There's only eight. Mostly relief pitchers. Only eight. Uh, three relief pitchers. 
Beltran's not 48, is he? Yep. So you've got two of the eight. Mm. Uh, Rodney? Yep. Three for eight. Jeez, other than that, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Ichiro, Jared Weaver? Not? Ichiro Suzuki is 43. <sighs> Koji Uihara is 42. R.A. Dickey is 42. Jason Grilly is 40. And Bronson Arroyo is 40. Hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, article I want to talk about from an actual writer is Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports. Title of his article was Study Shows Youth Baseball and Softball Participation Are on the Rise. Uh, he starts off the article by saying, Finally, baseball is getting good news about its effort to increase youth participation in the sport. Stunning news, really. Uh, so the article uh, discusses how uh, a survey by the Sports and Fitness Industry Association, which apparently is a uh, prominent uh, researcher, data collector on youth youth, uh, sport participation. Uh, They did a survey on the 2016 calendar year and baseball and softball combined to be the most played team sports by America's youth. Uh, Baseball baseball and softball showed growth in both casual and core participation over one, three, and five-year periods at a time when the trends in other team sports are less encouraging. Uh, Casual participation in the sport showed an average annual growth of 6.5% over five years, 10.7% over three years, and an 18.1% jump from uh, 2015 to 2016, according to the Sports and Fitness Industry Association. So, Paul, this is uh, pretty surprising to me. Yeah, we just, was that two weeks ago? Uh, We talked about this at length. You interviewed... uh, Bill Ballou. Yeah, Bill Ballou out of New England. Um, what what would you attribute this to if you had to just pick, you know, why? Well, my first question, uh, and you kind of mentioned this, like f- people playing football going down possibly hmm. and baseball filling that gap potentially as being one of the reasons. Yeah, I, I didn't see the numbers from the full report. The reason it got released, the baseball part of it is because they talked about it at an owner's meeting. Hmm. Uh, Manfred apparently released these numbers to the owners. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd be interested to know like if football participation decreased or if it's just kids playing multiple sports. Yeah, no, it's definitely surprising though. Um, I I would have thought that like good news could just be that it like stayed the same or plateaued, Mm -hmm. but those percentage increases are big. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rosenthal pointed to uh, the play ball initiative by major league baseball. You've probably seen the commercials. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think they just do like one, one commercial where a bunch of people from all different ages and backgrounds are playing baseball. Uh, pretty good commercial, but I, I doubt that that's the reason why right, there's yeah. a big increase. But it is, it's more expansive than that. They've worked with mayors of uh, bigger cities to get uh, baseball uh, more prominently covered. And so through those focused events, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have like the star athlete, like a, an Adam Jones in Baltimore might, you know, uh, host like a big event and a bunch of kids might play that. And so I don't know if those sorts of events count, you know, if they just show up for like a Saturday or if that mm-hmm. leads kids to sign up uh, for actual leagues. But even, um, you know, our nephew Grady is playing. We've talked about him on the podcast the last few weeks. Uh, I've been surprised at like the the demographics of kids that play in his league, like a lot of different backgrounds and um, hmm. kids of all backgrounds seem to enjoy playing, which I'm a bit uh, pessimistic so it's like right. uh, encouraging to see that i have heard uh, more and more uh, a push for multi-sport athletes so that i think uh, parents and coaches are seeing the negative side effects of like focusing exclusively on one sport 
uh, for kids growing up. I think John Smoltz is a big proponent of that. Um, and just anecdotally, coworkers, friends, that sort of thing, I've heard. More and more parents open to, to pushing their kids to play multiple sports, so that could also be it. Sure. Uh, lastly, the report uh, gave a number for the, the percentage of Americans that uh, reported no physical activity in 2016. Wow. What percentage do you think that was? Zero, zero physical activity. This is all Americans, not mm-hmm. just kids. Yep. Uh, it's got to be like less than 3%. 28% of Americans 28%? reported no physical activity in 2016. Wow. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's the most interesting piece of information. Would you be included in that? No. <laughs> to ne- What's your physical activity? Uh, go for a job. I mean, even... When's, so you, when's, what's your last physical activity you've done? Went for a bike ride yesterday. Okay. What, what about you? Oh, I'm very active. Yeah. As discussed on the podcast, my New Year's resolutions. Yeah. That's shocking to me. That you wouldn't one time in a year, like, play basketball, go for a run... Yeah. A lot of fat people out there. All right. Well, that does it for out of the box. Next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is. Yeah. What is that? That's the will to win. All right. Today, I want to take a look at replay challenges. Um, I want to talk about the average, any changes or perceived changes since the new replay rules went into effect, and then who's the best and who's the worst. Um, So uh, as you're all familiar, um, each manager in a game has the chance to challenge one play. Um, New this year, managers have just 30 seconds to make a decision on whether they want to challenge a play. And also new this year, the replay center back in New York City um, has to make a determination in roughly two minutes or so. So first, I wanted to see if those changes are affecting a success rate at all or if managers are challenging plays less or challenging them more, just to see if there's any change from last year. Last year, 51% of challenges were successful. So far this year, 50% of challenges are successful. So no discernible difference there around the same success rate. Uh, Last year, there were 1,531 replay challenges, or around 0.6 per game. This year, there have been 373 challenges, or around 0.6 per game. So exactly the same number, no difference whatsoever. Um, So the, the new rules seem to have had no effect on either the success or the volume of of, uh, replays so far this year. Uh, Who's been the best? Uh, The Yankees, the Dodgers, Royals, and Angels lead the league so far this year. That's somewhat surprising to me. Not so much the Yankees or the Dodgers, but the Royals and Angels. I actually would have predicted that someone like Mike Sosha would be one of the worst in baseball, um, or Ned Yost of the Royals, and they actually appear to be... um, some of the best. Why would you think they'd be the worst? Uh, they just... Um, They're older? Older and... It's called ageism. Uh, I would picture Sosha going with his gut a little bit more. So being less lenient on like a replay coach or somebody to look into it and more just, you know, making the determination himself. Uh, the worst? Any ideas, Pete? Uh, see, I don't I don't look at it like percentage-wise is worse. Like I just look at 
total number of reverse calls because I mean, if you lose a challenge, big deal. Right. So, uh, but you're going by percentage, uh, percentage and also the lowest number of overturned. Yes. Uh, Mike Matheny. No, they were in the bottom half. The Marlins and Don Mattingly hmm. uh, were the worst so far this year. They've challenged 10 plays and have gotten two, right? Did you... <laughs> Wow. That's pretty bad. You see this past week that there was a uh, big thing with the Dodgers and mm-hmm. the Marlins. Uh, Mattingly was upset because Seager swung in a 3-0 pitch. I did see up that. Up by like seven runs. That was unfortunate. Um, yeah, Mattingly went crazy. Bigger uh, beef, Seager swinging in a 3-0 pitch up seven or uh, Bautista bat flipping on a homer down like five. Bautista for sure. I'm no, normally not um, anti-bat flip, but that was a little much. You don't think there should have been like retaliation though? Uh, no, but I could s- definitely not throwing in his head or something, but I could see where that would, uh, really, you know, piss off a team. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, retaliation so stupid, like in no other profession, can you do that? Right. I mean, you can other professions, business world, you can just get them out. Right. No, I agree with you. I just say I can understand. You were a hesitant more. to answer my question. Uh, to round out the worst, the Rockies, uh, they've challenged 11 plays, gotten three right, and the A's have challenged nine and gotten two right. Who'd you say was the best? The Yankees and the Dodgers. Uh, Yankees are um, 11 for 13. Dodgers are 12 for 15. I remember the Yankees, um, there was an article, a former U of I baseball player is like the head of their replay team. Hmm. Um, and they like have one guy devoted to that. Yeah. All right, well, that does it for TWTW. Next up, signs of the game. Bottom of the second inning, no score, and the subject is Mike Matheny. Matheny, 44 years old, come the end of September, born in Ohio, lives in Missouri. But he was not even 18 years old, and he came to the University of Michigan with a major league dilemma. Earlier that summer, the Toronto Blue Jays had drafted a catching prospect in the 31st round, but Matheny decided to honor his college commitments, but he had a lot of doubts. Getting drafted was a dream come true. And if he waited till later on, the next time the offer would be less or not forthcoming at all. So he was a young man, not 18, and a lot of pressure. Should I turn pro or go to college? Major League Baseball rules allow players to sign with teams up until the player officially enters college full time. That's the key, full time. Anyway. Matheny showered, ready to go to class for the first day. Walked out of the dormitory, stomach knotted, and a pigeon defecated directly on his head. Now, conventional wisdom would suggest the bird bombing was a sign that he should hit the road. But Matheny had to go back and clean up. The pitch to Uribe, a strike, 0 and 1 to count. He went back and showered and cleaned up and decided. All of a sudden, he was at peace. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go to college. And there was one other thing that happened. The strike one pitch swung on and missed, 0 and 2. Matheny went to his first class, and when he reached class, he noticed a pretty field hockey player named Kristen. And he would marry her and live happily ever after. And that's the story of Mike Matheny and the bird poop. As Uribe hasn't much of a swing as he returns against a great pitcher and strikes out. That was uh, Vince Scully retelling a story about Mike Matheny getting pooped on by a bird. <laughs>
So a lot of Cardinals fans out there probably want to uh, poop on Matheny's head. <laughs> that might be therapeutic for you. Uh, moving on to the uh, sounds of the game segment this week. Um, the uh, Astros portion of the podcast has begun. Uh, the 2005 NLCS, two weeks ago, we uh, played for you Albert Pujols' homer in game five of that series. Uh, epic, uh, epic home run that saved, uh, at the time, saved the season for the Cardinals, pushed it to, to game six, which was back in St. Louis. Um, and so I think at the time, most people would have thought that the momentum was all in the Cardinals' favor, you know, going back to Bush for game six and game seven, uh, with Brad Lidge being off the rails. Uh, after game five. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this doesn't really play in the narrative, though. So game six uh, of that series, just one game later, the Astros won, came back and beat the Cardinals 5-1, to one, again, after the devastating loss in game five. Uh, this was the last game ever played at the old Bush Stadium. The new Bush opened in 2006. And this was the first time a team from Texas ever made the World Series. The mm. Rangers made it in 2010, but uh, the Astros, this is their only time ever making the World Series. Uh, again, they uh, played the White Sox, and they were, they were swept, so it didn't really end well. Not even close. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, there's a couple extra inning games. Well, yeah, game to game, their games were close. All right, so we're going to play uh, two different uh, calls for you. Uh, the first one comes from the Fox broadcast booth, uh, Tom Brenneman and Bob Brindley. And then the second one comes from uh, legendary Astros broadcaster Milo Hamilton. Now Yadier Molina. Wheeler, the pause in the pitch. Fly ball into right field. And for the first time in Houston Astros franchise history, they will play in the World Series. The 2005 National League champion. We said it the other night, they like everything big in Texas. It doesn't get any bigger than this. The World Series will indeed finally come to the Lone Star State. And as you might expect, some of the greatest baseball fans in the country here in St. Louis standing and applauding the Houston Astros, as well as the performance of their Cardinal team throughout the summer and into this postseason. The Astro fans who couldn't celebrate at home Monday night, I hope you're gathered at your favorite watering hole or at home runner going. Fielder's indifference. Fly ball right field. Jason Lane there. Astros are going to the 05 World Series. Oh, man, oh, man. Unbelievable. They're going to celebrate. You bet they are. They let it get away Monday at home. Now you can do it on the road on the Cardinal grass. When the big league teams start limbering up in spring practice sessions, you can be pretty sure that winter will soon be on its way out. The Houston Astros, however, couldn't care less about winter's nip. They are working out in their new all-weather stadium. Completed at the cost of $30 million in time for the new season, the Astrodome ballpark has a roof that is 20 stories above the playing field. The heaviest hitters have been unable to drive a ball near the translucent ceiling. Baseball and football fans will be snug and comfortable. There are 45,000 upholstered seats. The days of splintered bleacher seats have gone the way of the five-cent hot dog. 
The players say the new park bets a thousand. No sun in their eyes and air-conditioned comfort. As for the fans, can't you just hear them say, hey, it's raining out. Let's go to the ball game. So before we get to our interview with uh, James from AstrosCounty.com, uh, let's do a little deep dive. Uh, Paul, we're going to talk about the Houston Astrodome, uh, which uh, has been called many different things. Its first name was the Harris County Domed Stadium. Uh, has been referred to as the eighth wonder of the world, and uh, it's a very interesting building. Fascinating. And somewhat connected to a deep dive we did a few weeks back on the Mets, mm -hmm. um, the 1962 Mets. Yes. So the Astros and the Mets came in together in 1962, mm -hmm. both expansion teams. Uh, the Astros were called the Colt 45s back then, and they were the Colt 45s up until the Astrodome opened in 1965. Do you know where the name Astro came from? What is an Astro? Astro. I've never thought about that. It's like a star mascot. Mm -hmm. S. What's, what's the tie with space and uh, Houston? Is NASA located in Houston? Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. So I think the team was called Astros, which was a very, very good team name. Props to them back then. There's lots yeah. of people that screw up team names, like the Pelicans, mm -hmm. for instance, or the Bobcats. Uh, Astros, very unconventional outside the box, but uh, uh, has held up well. It also lends itself well to being like the first part of words. So the Astrodome, AstroTurf. Yes, good point. Those are the only two you got? Uh, Astrolite was the nickname for the scoreboard. Very, very good. Astronaut. <laughs> yes, that's probably where it came from. Mm -hmm. I assume the team was called the Astros, and then the Astrodome just came naturally from that. Uh, the reason why they felt like they needed a dome stadium is because summers in Houston are very hot and apparently uh, susceptible to like lots of rain, mm -hmm. like flooding uh, or lots of heavy rain in a short amount of time which was news to me. I thought it was just hot. And the story goes that the owner uh, of the team, there was a minor league team in Houston, and he had been to too many games there where rain had caused delays. Oh, was he the owner? Uh, the Roy Hoffines guy? I feel like he was He was the former mayor of Houston, and then he like led the group to get the stadium. I'm not sure he was technically the owner. So maybe like just the leader of the investment group or something like that? Yeah. Uh, some interesting things about the Astrodome... Uh, the plain surface. Originally, the stadium surface was grass. It was a special type of grass that was uh, specifically bred for indoor use. Uh, of course, that did not work out well. Uh, the dome ceiling uh, had these uh, panels or panes uh, made of a, a substance that allowed sunlight in. But players quickly complained about the glare that came off the panels or the uh, came off the panes. It was hard for them to track fly balls. They experimented with orange balls for a while to see if that would help. Uh, that didn't. So to solve the problem, uh, two sections of the uh, window ceiling were painted white, which you wouldn't think would help <laughs> with a white baseball, but apparently mm -hmm. it did. Um, however, within a few months, the grass died from lack of sunlight. <laughs> and for most of that first 1965 season, the Astros played on a green painted dirt and dead grass field. And the, the clear panels also added a problem uh, when combined with the natural grass, uh, the grass tended to hold, then release moisture, and that resulted in rain uh, within the Astrodome. 
causing games to be delayed while the grounds crew cleaned up the playing surface. Mm-hmm. So it would rain inside the stadium, even though no no rain could get through the roof. Mm-hmm. And the outfield actually remained painted dirt until the All-Star game in 1966. So like over... 68. F- or 68. So mm-hmm. over, gosh, over a couple of years, mm-hmm. um, it was a dirt outfield. Then, of course, uh, to combat the, the grass problem, they instituted AstroTurf. Mm-hmm. Um, first, it was just the infield, and then it was, again, moved to the outfield for the, the All-Star game. And it was the first stadium with AstroTurf. Right. It would make sense um, where the name came from. And uh, there's no AstroTurf anywhere anymore, right? Because it's, it's bad for your legs, so they've right. yeah. done like a hybrid. I've never walked on it, have you? I haven't, no. I feel like uh, Illinois football field used to have it. Yeah. The way it looks on TV is almost like concrete or something. It looks so hard. I always pictured it more as like spongy, but I don't think it was. Yeah. It was harder. This was the first uh, in a in a pretty long list of multi-sport domes uh, and like perfectly, you know, symmetrical, perfectly circled mm-hmm. domes. So you've got the Silver Dome in Detroit, Superdome in New Orleans, the Metrodome in Minneapolis, King Dome in Seattle, and the RCA Dome in Indianapolis. Um, I guess just going back to a few basics. So it opened in 1965. The Oilers football team played there from 68 to 96. Mm-hmm. The Astros played there from 1965 until 1999. The Rockets played there from 1971 until 75. And it was also the primary home of the Houston Livestock Show from 1966 until 2002. And Houston football. Houston, the college. Oh, yeah. 1965 through 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, some other notable events it's hosted. The 1989 NBA All-Star Game. Uh, WrestleMania. Uh, Elvis performed there. Evil Knievel jumped a bunch of cars there. Muhammad Ali had a fight there. Um, Houston beat uh, UCLA in basketball in 1968. It was called the Game of the Century. It's the record for the largest attendance uh, for over 40 years, up until 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a famous Battle of the Sexes tennis match there in 1973. It's the largest crowd for a tennis match. Also, the 1992 uh, Republican National Convention was held there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to write a blog post about this later this week, but it was a, a month-long road trip for the Astros because of that. So, oh, because of the convention they yeah, had? Yeah, so uh, George H.W. Bush was it was like the convention where he was named mm-hmm. the candidate for president. Um, and the Astros had to go on a long road trip because of it. And speaking of politics uh, and presidents, in uh, on opening day 1965, the first ever regular season game there, Lyndon B. Johnson. The, For the first exhibition game there. Was, um, was in attendance, along with his wife, Lady Bird, and the governor of uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was the first exhibition game, not the first. Uh, it wasn't opening day. Hmm. You don't believe me? Uh, I'm skeptical. It was the first exhibition game. Uh, we read the same Wikipedia page. And the first home run hit was Mickey Mantle of the Yankees in the exhibition game. You may have heard, President Lyndon B. Johnson's wife's name is Lady Bird. What, what, is, what is wrong with them? I feel like that's a fairly well-known fact. I agree with you that it's a strange, but... Is that a nickname? No, it's her name. Is that a deal breaker if Kate wanted... You'd refer to her as Lady Bird? Uh, yes, that would be a deal breaker. It sounds like a pet name. Yes. I'm going to refer to my future wife as Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's most staggering to me is that when the, the Astrodome was built, it was twice as large as any single enclosure ever built before. 
hmm. which is pretty extraordinary. What was, what was the biggest before that? I'm not sure. Lincoln Square Mall. <laughs> couple other notes. Uh, it um, was home to Hurricane Katrina victims from New Orleans in 2005. Mm-hmm. The Superdome in New Orleans got full, so they would ship people to Houston. Uh, also, 2013, parts of it were demolished, but it's still standing, mainly because they're, they're not sure how like businesses around it would be affected if they demolished it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of there. No one uses it. No one can get in except like security and um, construction staff. A lot, of, a lot of different like people have suggested things for it or tried to get things passed, uh, different renovation projects, but um, all those things were voted down. So it's just an old decrepit building that's can't be mm-hmm. demolished. It's amazing how depressing a unused dome is. Same thing with uh, the Rams old stadium in St. Louis. It's still there. Still there, yeah. It's just like, what do you do with it? It's. Well, I guess yeah, they only moved a couple years ago. You can't, you can't really do anything of significance. It can be a convention center, but you have to have a fairly big convention to to host it there. It was part of their uh, Houston's bid for the Olympics back. 2012 for the 2012 games yeah they're gonna invest a ton to like make it renovated and good stuff. again all right well i think that's all of the astrodome facts that we have just a reminder uh lena b johnson was at the first exhibition game ever played in 1965 i was not there for opening day verified you're correct thank you all right well that does it uh for deep dive again if you have uh topics that you think would be interesting for us to cover or perhaps you'd like to come on and discuss them with us. Please email us at a foot in the box at gmail.com or tweet at us at a foot in the box. We would thoroughly enjoy that. Deep center. Andrew Jones is there. And the ball game is over. The Atlanta Braves will have their own little final bit of Astrodome history as the Astrodome gets ready to shut its doors after 35 years of hosting Major League Baseball, the Atlanta Braves will do something that the Astros themselves were never able to do here. That is celebrate a postseason series win. The Astros sad tale continues. They have never won a postseason series. Next up, last thing on the podcast, we have a discussion with uh, this week's guest. He is James from Astros County. He is the lifeblood of the Astros fan base, from what I can tell on Twitter. So uh, check out his Twitter page, check out his website, astroscounty.com, and uh, enjoy his interview right now. This week's guest on the podcast is James from Astros County. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Astros County and find his writing about the Astros at astroscounty.com. Welcome to our podcast, James. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Appreciate you joining us. Before we get going, just I'd like to give listeners some context uh, for your Astros fandom. How long have you been following the team, and how long have you been writing about uh, the Astros? I grew up in Houston, so so it's been you know it's been a while. Um, the I guess I started Astros County back in two thousand and eight, so we're going on. Uh, this will be the ninth anniversary of of Astros County, so fan for a really long time and and has sort of devoted some time writing about the team for almost nine years now. That's awesome. Uh, Well, this year's team has arguably been the best in baseball. Uh, They started out 29-12 and uh, before losing the last uh, couple to the Indians, but uh, they still have the best run differential in the American League. 
uh, best ERA in baseball, top 10 offense. Give me the current pulse of, of Astros fans. Are they pretty pumped about the 2017 team? Yeah, I think everyone's pretty excited. Um, losing two to the Indians has made some people think it's 2013 all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but overall, I think everyone's really excited. So, you know, they're an exciting team, and they can win games in a bunch of different ways. And, and it's uh, people are actually showing up to the ballpark, and they're watching on TV. And, yeah, there's a, there's a different vibe around Astros fans this year. Going back a few years, uh, the Astros kind of were the first classic uh, – Tanking, I guess, is is the word that people use. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but uh, as a Cubs fan myself, oh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, <laughs> as a Cubs fan myself, you know, I'm I know the process of just losing for several years to try to get good uh, for a long stretch of time, and the records for those uh, Astros teams in 2011, 2012, and 2013 are staggering: 56 and 106, 55 and 107, and then in 2013, 51 and 111. Uh, that was like smack dab in the middle of your your blogging. Uh, what was it like to to just watch uh, terrible baseball uh, for three years in a row? It was awful. Um, I actually spent more time looking at the minor league side of the Astros organization just because there that's where the hope was. So to I, I mean they were those teams were so terrible and like each year you thought okay that has to have been it like it it's got to get better from here and then the next year would be worse and then the next year was it was even worse so it was just awful and I mean at, at at one point it just became about like street cred as far as like keep saying I was an Astros fan and watching games and being on Twitter like I wanted people to know <laughs> like I was gonna I'll sit there. You know, it's 11:45 on a Tuesday night, and watch the Astros get beat 11 to one by the Mariners. You know, because <laughs> I wanted, uh, I, I just want. It was a shared, mutual, miserable experience. Mm-hmm. As a side, uh, what was it like when the the Astros switched leagues? You know, I grew up watching the Astros play the Cubs a lot. Was that something that Astros fans cared about at all when they switched to uh, the American League? Yeah, I was. I mean, I don't think anybody was real excited about it. Um, there was sort of this idea that, you know, we feel like we felt like we have actual rivalries with the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Reds and the Pirates, and Sea League and Major League Baseball kind of forced the Rangers on us. And and I mean, it was it was tied to switching leagues was tied to the sale of the Astros to Jim Crane. So we sort of had to decide, do we are, what are we more mad about? Do we want the the new owner to come in and kind of change things up? Or are we just that upset about having to move to the American league? So it was just a weird situation that it was, I think we all just sort of resigned ourselves to understanding like there's nothing we can do about it. So hmm. well, there's a lot of things we could be mad about. Is, is this, is this one of them? So I mean, it was just sort of resigned to to it happening. So is, is the is the Astros Rangers rivalry an, an actual rivalry? Is it, does it still feel pretty forced? Well, now it is. Um, although, you know, I mean, the Astros did win did win three or four earlier this season, but typically in a rivalry, one team you know, there needs to be a balance of wins, which hasn't really been the case for the last two years as the Rangers have. They're just full of witchcraft and dark magic and the occult uh, and human sacrifice and how they win games and how they beat the Astros and 
how often they beat the Astros. So, no, it's, it's a real rivalry now. It just felt forced at the time. Sounds like how I feel about the Cardinals uh, most years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Astros uh, have just one playoff appearance in the last 11 years, um, and that one appearance was a, a devastating loss to the Royals when they were up uh, 6-2 Ooh. in the eighth inning in Game 4. Um, I think that's a pretty underrated collapse, or, you know, kind of, kind of it's not talked about in, in, in the lineage of, of those sorts of moments. Um, but, right. you know, they're up four runs in the eighth inning in Game 4 of that series and uh, ended up losing in five to the Royals. Uh, so it seems like Astros fans, uh, have a long history of, of heartbreak, especially in the postseason. Uh, is that something that's, uh, true? Is it accurate? And, and are Astros fans kind of reluctant to really embrace a team because of that? I don't think they're reluctant to embrace the team because of it, but, but yes, it's true that there's been some heartbreak you know, associated with the Astros and, and in, really with Houston in general. I mean, if you think about like the Oilers when they lost that playoff game to the Bills hmm. when they were up 35 to three, like it's just sort of the curse of Houston sports. So, um, yeah, that, that loss against the Royals was, I mean, that's one of the, it's sort of like with the Albert Pujols home run, mm-hmm. uh, in the 2005 NLCS. Like it's one of those, I remember exactly where I was as this unfolded. Um, I don't think it makes people reluctant to embrace the team, but I think it, it does sort of, re, you know, the Astros are 29 and 14 and, you know, just lost two games and lost two games in a row to a, to a pretty good team. And, and people are freaking out because something bad always seems to happen. Like there's, there's no lead that is safe with the Astros and that you can always count on some sort of disaster just around the corner. So it's not a, it's just sort of how it is for it's built into Houston fan psyche. Uh, all right, just a couple more questions. Uh, first question, so the, the tanking from 2011, 2013, that kind of era, obviously now they're good again, so it seems like it paid off. But really those teams, uh, it really only led to Correa and then Bregman uh, later on. So looking back, do you think the, the, taking, the tanking was necessary? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, – I think that they were smart to go about it the way that they did. Uh, and – you know, there's there's no guarantee that that trading everybody and, and relying on draft. I mean, Brady Aiken, you know, everyone kind of knows what happened there. Mm-hmm. Mark Appel hasn't panned out. Um, so it's it's not like you lose 111 games and you're, there's guaranteed success down the road. I mean, there's always a number of things that can go wrong. Um, but one of the things that that comes with tanking that I think is is sort of under under examined is you know, when the Astros had a payroll of $25 million, that was their opening day payroll in 2013, I think. Mm. Um, you know, how much money are they saving for the future? Like, like were they, you know, and I'm, all baseball teams are profitable. Otherwise, they'd be getting sold left and right. But, you know, how much money were the Astros, bank, were, were the Astros banking over those years in order to prepare to pay Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa or George Springer or Dallas Keuchel? You know that that there's a financial side to it that, you know, why would you go spend? And it, and it goes beyond just payroll for that guy. Like, why would you spend? Like I remember when the when the Cubs, you know, signed Edwin Jackson. Right? Like, okay, <laughs> cool. How much money does he cost? And and that's you know you can't allocate your funds a little bit better. And mm-hmm. I understand you have you want to look like you're not trying to piss all over, you know, baseball history and and the game itself, but. 
But how much money did the Astros save for three or four years? You know, while they while they knew they weren't going to be very good, in order to you to have that sort of in the bank in reserve uh, for when the Astros really needed it. Yeah, the, the Edwin Jackson signing is the one uh, Theo move that I just never really heard a, a good explanation for. <laughs> just a, an awful, awful pitcher. Uh, last question: uh, the the Astros are seventeenth in attendance. I just looked uh, at just under twenty eight thousand fans per game. That's actually up from last year and up considerably from where they were during um, the rebuilding years. Uh, you feel like that's a, uh, an ever increasing uh, sort of thing? Will they keep rising as the as the team keeps winning? Yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> you know, yesterday yesterday the Astros had about thirty six thousand people. Uh, in the stands, and that was the that was the highest non-opening day, you know, attendance game of the of the season. So, I don't think it's a coincidence that, I mean, honestly, there was not a reason to go see the Astros for for a few years other than you wanted to see the team that they were playing, or you again you wanted to establish that you were a, a real fan. So, you know, now that the team's exciting and they're winning, you know, consistently more than they're losing, then. Uh, yeah, people are going to come back, and and that's an unfortunate thing about Houston. And I guess it's probably true of a lot of cities that, you know, the Astros weren't going to draw thirty-seven thousand people when they were in the process of losing hundred and eleven games. Um, you know, Houston is a massive city, and it's it's fairly hard. You know, traffic is absolutely terrible. Hmm. Um, I, I took my wife and I. My dad lives in Southwest Houston, and it, it took us an hour and forty-five minutes to get twelve miles to the stadium like mm-hmm. we thought we'd get there for bp and barely made it for first pitch so um i think more, as as they get better people will yeah it's houston people will show up they'll, they'll find a way to make it awesome uh do you have a favorite astros player Are you a bagwell bgo guy Who, who's your favorite I, yeah bagwell uh I, I absolutely adore jeff bagwell so just a weird stance the goatee <laughs> um everything so yeah bagwell's my favorite Great. Well, our guest has been James from Astros County. Make sure to check his writing out at astroscounty.com. Thanks so much for joining us, James. Hey, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to James for joining us. Um, Good stuff there. Perhaps he will be uh, our guest for the playoff preview, 10 guest Mm -hmm. playoff preview. Uh, He's one of my favorite guests. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Thanks to him for joining us. It was really good. Uh, so closing out the podcast, uh, just a couple updates or reminders. Next week, two big things coming at you. It's the second annual Memorial Day trade deadline game. Uh, this is where Paul and I draft players that we think will get traded, and then the games they play for other teams uh, become our uh, games. Was it, was it innings pitched? For pitchers? Oh, that's right. It was at-bats and innings pitched. Right. Yeah, so at-bats, innings pitched. This this year will be more interesting mm-hmm. in terms of like who the first couple picks are. Yeah, I mean, I assume anyone on like the Padres or mm-hmm. White Sox. But those teams have crappy players. No sure. one, No one good in either of those Like you, Darvish. The Rangers probably aren't going to trade him now. Mm. Interesting. Uh, so we'll do that. And then we also have an MLB draft expert on. So the MLB draft is coming up pretty quick here in... Uh, mid-June. So we'll talk to Jeff Ellis of scout.com. He is their MLB draft expert. And so we'll talk to him. White Sox have a top 10 pick. Correct. Cubs have a couple early picks. So um, we'll talk to him, kind of get the scoop on the top tier prospects out there, including, uh, is it Hunter Green? 
Hunter Green, yeah, out of California. Yeah, so he is uh, rumored to be, I mean, the top overall pick, but he wants to play for the Padres, mm-hmm. which they have the third pick. So um, we'll for sure ask him about Hunter Green. He's a pretty cool guy, uh, it seems like, from the Sports Illustrated article that went viral a few weeks ago. Yes, we do not have a another Alonzo Ball on our hands. It's, it's true. Uh, and then last thing I have is the 2005 MVP baseball update. Uh, Paul is still four now. Last week we refrained from playing in honor of our mother on Mother's <laughs> Day, but this week we're back at it. Uh, check out our Twitter for the, the live Periscope if you missed it. Yes, and thanks to the, the dozens of people that have tuned in so far. More than you'd expect though, right? Yes, yeah. I'm serious when I say dozens, but we had like 35 or something in our Each last... week we've had strangers chime in on the Periscope. Uh, I guarantee victory. I was playing Madden against a friend yesterday on PS2, so I feel like I'm back in it. My yeah. condi- my hand conditioning is back up. We'll see. The only other thing I have uh, is that Peter and I are heading to our first baseball game together this year, Major League Baseball game. We're heading to the White Sox-Tigers game on Saturday, uh, enjoying an all-you-can-eat buffet at the stadium before the game and then some outfield seats during the game. So we'll have a report out on that as well. Yeah, check us out on Twitter for live updates uh, at A Foot in the Box. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And email us at afootinthebox at gmail.com. And check us out online at afootinthebox.com. My uh, daily blog posts have continued. Uh, today is uh, number 50 of the season. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. When I was six years old, I broke my leg. I was running from my brother and his friends. And tasted the sweet perfume of the mountain grass I rolled down. I was younger then. Take me back to when. I found my heart broke it here, made friends and lost them through the years. And I've not seen the 